You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing cutting-edge energy management software for battery optimisation, virtual power plants and distributed energy resources. And Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. Hello and welcome to this special episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy. Not joining me today is my normal co-host David Leach. He's out travelling, but joining me today is the Victorian Energy Minister, Lily D'Ambrosio. Mr D'Ambrosio, thank you for joining the Energy Insiders podcast. Hello, Giles. It's uh, really good to be with you. You last week announced what is Australia's first target for offshore wind. It's uh, 2 gigawatts by 2030, 4 gigawatts by 2035, 9 gigawatts by 2040. Australia does not have any offshore wind anymore. Uh, Sorry, yet, not anymore. (laughs) It doesn't have any offshore uh, wind installations yet. Why the need to actually introduce a target? Well, uh, Giles, if I can just say it's uh, two gigawatts at least by 2032, but we're looking at first power from around about 2028. But look, look, this is a fantastic opportunity and it's something that is part of a necessary part of the next evolution in terms of decarbonising our electricity system, but also potentially creating fantastic opportunity for green hydrogen production. So uh, we know, of course, with Victoria, you know, we've uh, got a lot of onshore wind, we've got a lot of onshore solar. They will continue to be built, uh, but we know that there is massive uh, uh, capacity uh, that we've got here off the coast of Victoria. And can I say that Victoria has uh, the best offshore wind resource uh, in the country and amongst uh, the top five, if not the top three in the world. So why wouldn't you do it here in Victoria? Making the targets uh, as part of the announcement is really important for uh, confidence for industry, knowing that they've got a government uh, that will back them and their sector and that will do the work alongside of them uh, to create a really a really uh, fertile investment environment. So when you say you want to target, are you going to be supporting this with any particular um, incentives? Will you be holding an auction as you've been doing for um, Victoria Renewable Energy Target? I think you're on the second or third auction now. I can't quite remember. Um, What sort of measures will you be taking to ensure that this capacity is built and to help it being built? Well, you're right there. I mean, we know that uh, in in Australia we don't have an offshore wind uh, energy industry and uh, with new technologies in uh, new environments such as Australia is, uh, there has to be a lot of work on not just preparing the regulatory framework but looking at what are the financial levers or uh, roles that uh, the Victorian government can make to actually help it uh, get along. And we can see from offshore wind uh, generation that, that exists globally, they've all needed some level of involvement and support from governments because uh, new projects, of course, uh, whilst they may be expensive as the first movers, uh, they actually do propel uh, the sector and make it easier for others that come through. But the other benefit for us, of course, in Victoria is that 
a lot of work has to be done to ensure that we optimise the local job created here in Victoria. We need to strengthen local supply chains, well, create them, strengthen the local supply chain, make sure that they're actually ready uh, to be able uh, to step up uh, to the actual building of these uh, of these uh, offshore wind farms. So really terrific opportunities for jobs, uh, skills development, and in fact, as a first mover state, um, we want, and I want personally, the Victoria to be fairly much the epicenter of offshore renewable energy production. Uh, uh, and also making available skills and expertise, not just to the rest of the country, but uh, to our broader region outside our boundaries, out, outside our borders. Can I just sort of maybe sort of dig deeper into what sort of incentives that you would, what sort of mechanism you're looking at having? Um, will you have an auction? Are you looking at things like sort of underwriting or providing a sort of a, a, a minimum price guarantee for these projects or has that yet to be decided? It's yet to be decided, Giles, and uh, we, I suppose uh, when, when we developed up our uh, uh, approach or model uh, for the first V-RED uh, auction, we spent a lot of time uh, discussing with industry uh, and working through internally about the best approach to take. We're going to take the same approach this time, so <clears throat> I won't be in a position to say to you we're going to run an auction or we're going to run some other process, uh, but we're going to get the best model uh, to drive the best type of investment here and make it attractive. Uh, we want to get these projects off the ground and running. And uh, the hard work will be really now uh, and uh, we're going to be uh, releasing an implementation plan later this year which will provide further information about uh, the, the approach that we'll take to actually procuring uh, the first tranche of, uh, of offshore renewable energy projects. Mm. Well, one of the most advanced offshore energy projects is this two gigawatt Star of the South project um, down in South East Victoria. Um, it had kind of said it was probably going to start production anyway by 2028. So is the idea of this target one to make sure that that actually does happen or maybe present opportunities to others? Or is it to also ensure that even more offshore wind capacity is then built in sort of subsequent years? Well, the the first target uh, is is just the start. Uh, mm. You know, our commitment is to uh, go to that uh, third stage, which is uh, the nine gigawatts by twenty forty. And uh, you mentioned one proponent, Star of the South, but you know, there's a, uh, at least two that we know, in addition to Star of the South, that are equally excited uh, and are really wanting to give it a red hot go. And we've indeed uh, provided some financial support to three proponents uh, and they all have um, a keenness to uh, move to a production phase at some point, uh, hopefully in the not too distant future. I mean, we want to make this a competitive process. It is a commercial process though and it's sensitive. So it's not about uh, one project being better than another or more advanced than another. Uh, we want to create an ecosystem to make it possible for not just three proponents uh, to be able to go to the next step, but for more uh, interest to come through to Victoria. Uh, and globally, uh, we want those investment dollars to come to Victoria. So the more competitive an environment we can have, the better. But, uh, you know, that's the long-term uh, mm. plan that we have. Uh, and uh, and I think uh, once we uh, release our implementation plan, we'll be able to provide more information about what the steps are in terms of the timing of any procurement uh, processes uh, and uh, the conditions that would be associated with that. 
Right. So the chances are then that um, for this 2032 target to gigawatts, it won't simply just be helping one massive offshore wind farm coming to fruition. It's likely to probably be supporting the first stages of multiple wind farms. Well, look, uh, the point is that, you know, we are in a commercial process. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to be saying it'll be uh, three or four or, or, or even just one. So we'll, we'll wait and see how we go. But uh, the approach that we'll take and whatever ends up producing uh, at least uh, the, the, the minimum two gigawatts by 2032, uh, Victorians will, uh, can be confident that we will have gone through the most rigorous process uh, in getting the best value for money for our state mm. uh, for the outcome, that is the generation of uh, new clean power uh, that will support our state uh, for the future, but importantly also is creating those thousands of jobs, ongoing jobs, uh, making Victoria the home, the natural home of offshore renewable energy. And that will mean, of course, that more will come, more proponents, more business, more investment will come to Victoria to take advantage uh, of what is uh, the best offshore resource in the country. And what sort of local componentry will you be requiring as part of this sort of mandate? Because um, that's a sort of a um, it's, it's it's a sore issue. Some of the big developers are sort of conscious of the cost of um, local componentry, but there's obviously lots of local manufacturers who really want to have this business. Mm -hmm. Well, look in Victoria, we've got uh, the local jobs policy, our local jobs policy, which uh, really is applied to all projects that uh, government uh, supports or sponsors, or indeed. Uh, uh, managers. Uh, and we certainly apply that approach to our renewable energy auctions. Uh, we will certainly have a local jobs policy that will apply to offshore uh, wind. Uh, and really, we are distinct. We, sta we, are, uh, we, we distinctly stand out from other states uh, uh, when it comes to uh, that local jobs mm -hmm. policy. Uh, because, uh, Giles, it's not just about building those extra megawatts or gigawatts. It's about growing the whole of the ecosystem, the supply chain. Uh, mm -hmm. That's what's motivated me as an energy minister and as a previous industry minister uh, that uh, we, we should be getting and striving to get multiple benefits uh, from our move towards renewable energy, and that's exactly what we're going to do. If you have a look at the Commonwealth Government, they fail at every opportunity. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they, they're looking at, you know, expanding the Snowy Hydro with Snowy 2.0. Where is their local jobs content? And we've got Keppel Prince in Portland that are screaming for work from, from federal projects, but uh, none's coming to them. So uh, if you care about jobs... You make sure that um, uh, game-changing projects such as offshore wind uh, have also an overlay of local jobs and the policies there that will really optimise uh, the opportunities for Victorians uh, to, to actually not just enjoy the outcome of clean power but actually enjoy actually working within the sector, uh, getting good paid jobs and having jobs that uh, their skills can be developed and have uh, a long-term future uh, in renewable energy and that's what we've been growing, whether it's been our solar homes program, uh, our uh, two V reductions uh, and indeed offshore wind, uh, you know, Victoria is the, the home of renewable energy jobs and the Clean Energy Council uh, in this survey, I think uh, about a year or so ago, uh, found that to be the case. And uh, we want to keep that mantle, Giles, and we want to grow it. What about the cost of offshore wind? Um, at the moment, it seems to be more expensive than the other technologies. Are you confident? Do you have any forecasts about what the cost of offshore wind might be um, coming down to? Um, if you're going to get nine gigawatts into the system, then surely it has to be competitive with the land-based technologies. 
Well, certainly uh, we, we saw that, and and this is the case for any new technology. As it uh, in its early days, uh, it can be more expensive to alternatives, uh, uh, but with uh, more uh, and the growth of uh, deployment of that technology, you see prices coming down. And we've seen that with renewable energy coming down quite dramatically, quite quite significantly, uh, and and now to the point that those renewable energy projects onshore are the much cheaper option to be built compared to their alternatives onshore. Uh, offshore will be the same. Uh, we, we anticipate it will uh, the, the effect will be the same. The more that we can uh, get these projects uh, built and supported, uh, that uh, the uptake and, and sorry the development uh, and the establishment of the local supply chains uh, will help create. Um, a, a drive down in, in prices, a more competitive environment, and cheaper prices. And we've seen we're seeing that with countries overseas. Um, Britain has a, a very strong offshore uh, wind energy target. I think they're looking at doubling what they've already uh, got built, which is quite uh, ex, uh, quite um, extensive. And prices have come down significantly. So it's no different to any other technology. You know, it, its early days are always uh, more expensive, uh, but with um, the the rapid deployment uh, and support from governments, you actually start to drive down those prices mm. and they become very, very affordable and very, very competitive. And I'm very confident that offshore will be no different. Now, you've got a couple of other auction processes running at the moment. You sort of launched the first stage of the second part of the VRET auctions, seeking 600 megawatts, a lot of that um, sort of dedicated to making sure that the government, the Victorian government itself, is sort of um, ze- um, sort of uh, zero emissions um, for its electricity supply. You've also put out a tender for 1.5 gigawatts for the first of the renewable energy zones. Um, what's the latest with those? When can we expect to see some results and some announcements about those processes? <clears throat> well, VRET one was an absolute uh, success. Um, Giles, you may remember that we went out initially seeking about 650 megawatts uh, mm-hmm. of new build projects capacity. Uh, we ended up with more than 900 megawatts. Uh, it was phenomenal. And uh, the, the value, the dollar value of uh, those contracts were really fantastic, really, really pleasing. Uh, we are in the middle of the VRET 2 uh, um uh, tender process, uh, and as you've said, uh, you know we're that the aim of that is not only, of course, to grow more uh, jobs and more uh, renewable energy power, uh, but also uh, we're, we're basically saying that uh, the power generated from that will ensure that uh, the Victorian government's operations, whether it's a school, a police station, a hospital, uh, a building of whatever sort, uh, uh, all of Victoria's. Victorian government's operations in 20, from 2025 will be powered 100% by renewable uh, uh, electricity. So uh, it's about leadership also. Uh, now, we are uh, working our way through uh, a number of, um, well, that tender process. So very premature for me to really make some comments around that, but we're very pleased with the way that it's progressing thus far. Mm. The most recent Australian energy market operators um, draft well, is the, the integrated system plan. It's the draft 2022 version of that. It talked about its new central scenario being the step change scenario, and that seems to have the support of the overwhelming majority of stakeholders in the energy industry, mm-hmm. so apart from a few sort of holdouts in the in the fossil fuel industry. One of the most significant predi- predictions was the end of brown coal generation um, within a decade, basically by 2032. Now, Victoria is the 
center of brown coal generator. Um, you're going to have your lawn closing in 2028. You've got another two there, both Loyang A and Loyang B. At the moment, they're kind of scheduled or thinking or telling people that they'll continue going until 2040s, though that seems unlikely. Do you agree with the AEMO modeling? And is Victoria ready to deal with the closure of its brown coal generators? And what mm. do you need to do to be able to deal with that? Mm. Well, look, uh, I mean, this is a very important um, topic of conversation for, for all of the reasons that you've described. You know, are states ready? Uh, uh, is this likely to happen? Is it likely to happen sooner? Look, one thing's for sure that uh, Scott Morrison said that, you know, these these uh, these uh, uh, businesses, sorry, I'll say that again. So, so Scott Morrison's comments certainly are about that these uh, businesses, these generators should be running to the end of their uh, life. And, look, we know that that's just not going to happen. Uh, the owners of these uh, uh, power stations know that they'll go earlier. Now, how early uh, is yet to be really fully understood, but... They're saying that they'll go earlier, and we know that too as a government. So um, so what do you do with that? Well, what you do is ensure that you put proper planning in place to make sure that you've got more than sufficient power to meet uh, your needs into the future. Uh, and that's why, for example, uh, projects like the VRET2 uh, announcement and uh, is, is an important uh, part of you know that demonstration of planning and, and delivering on uh, replacement energy, the arrangements that we've got with uh, Energy Australia for the uh, timing and closure of uh, your lawn power station, ensuring that there's uh, you know a, a large uh, new battery storage uh, appliance that's uh, uh, established before uh, 2028 to have that in place. That's all about energy security and reliability, and offshore wind. I mean that that's the game changer. Uh, is, is the most important. Uh, uh, or the biggest renewable energy announcements in the state's history, but it's also probably the biggest announcement in energy policy since the 1970s. Uh, and that will do, that's the answer, right? Offshore wind is part of the answer. It's a big part of the answer. Uh, and uh, the timing of our uh, targets uh, really do have in mind quite squarely uh, replacement power uh, and uh, having a sense of uh, the, the fact and the reality that the existing uh, coal generators, the ones that uh, are remaining and have not yet declared an exact date of closure, uh, but being ready for, for those dates to, to become uh, known and and, uh, and communicated publicly. We have to be ready. We will be ready. And Victorians can be confident uh, that not only will we have more than sufficient supply of electricity, it will be 100% clean electricity, but it will also provide the fantastic jobs, thousands of jobs in that in those regions of the state that have traditionally been home to massive transmission infrastructure, but also uh, the massive uh, uh, generators of, of our power that we've relied on for many, many decades. So the offshore wind is sort of uh, partially then to sort of replace the existing coal generators, but it's also looking, as you said at the start of this podcast, um, to the green hydrogen industry. What sort of opportunities do you see there in green hydrogen? Well, look, the uh, green hydrogen uh, has is growing in its importance and focus of governments here in uh, in Australia. Uh, the states, in particular, have got a very clear focus uh, on hydrogen. Uh, what is really and and certainly there's been um, a, a shift in uh, the expectation of when uh, price parity and competitiveness of 
uh, hydrogen uh, will, will be with that is uh, green hydrogen versus uh, uh, blue hydrogen or uh, and, and other types of hydrogen. Uh, and what I will say to you is that uh, uh, we know that there's a long history that with renewable energy, the expected uh, dates of when uh, technologies will improve or prices will come down have always been overshot and they've always been much earlier. Mm. I am very confident that um, the, pro the uh, competitiveness of green hydrogen will come much, much sooner than anyone's saying right now. And we only have to have a look at the Russian-Ukrainian situation where uh, already, and then that's a, just an awful situation, a, a terribly devastating for, for Ukrainians. I, I want to make sure I, I say that and not scoot over that because it is a, a terrible situation. But we're also already starting to see countries like Germany and Italy indicating that they need to now ramp up uh, their efforts and their investment in alternative fuel sources, and that is hydrogen. What's the alternative to oil and gas uh, that uh, is very much owned by uh, the, the states or, if you like, the countries where those resources are located? Well, uh, the best way to protect yourself and ensure that you've got, you know, reliable uh, uh, energy and fuel supply is to go to a resource that is not owned by any single entity. Air and water, <laughs> air mm. and water. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry, not water so much. I, I apologise, but um, uh, sun and wind uh, are not owned by anyone. Everyone has access to it, uh, and that's where green hydrogen is going to play a really important role. And I would, uh, I would bet anything that there's going to be an even earlier introduction uh, and focus on green hydrogen to get us transitioning much sooner. So what does that mean for Victoria, of course? It means the opportunity uh, is greater and uh, and much uh, sooner potentially. Uh, it, this For green hydrogen uh, proponents, knowing that we're going to have a, a fantastic offshore wind resource producing energy, clean energy, um, in uh, off Gippsland, off Bass Coast uh, and uh, off the Portland uh, area, will mean that it will give them a really strong indication of where they could potentially locate their investment, their electrolyzers, yeah. uh, other, other, other businesses that rely on uh, a clean source of, of hydrogen. So uh, you, you, I, I'm sure that this will start to get a lot of uh, meetings going and a lot of um, dialogue going about uh, where green hydrogen projects can be located yeah. in the state. That's not to say they can't be located elsewhere, but there are natural advantages of having uh, green hydrogen production uh, and storage uh, available as close as possible to where offshore wind resource is generating power. Just a couple of last questions. Um, Mike Cannon-Brooks, um, uh, in, in conjunction with Brookfield, launched a um, quite sort of groundbreaking bid for AGL, sort of you know, looking at the, closing for the, the coal industry from the inside out. What was your reaction to this? Did you talk to Mike Cannon-Brooks at all or the Brookfield people? Um, do you endorse that offer? Oh, well, look, uh, Mike Cannon-Brooks uh, gave me a courtesy call when, when the news was breaking, and I, I think he would have done that uh, with the New South Wales government also, just, just to as a heads up. Uh, rather than any details. I mean, that's a matter for, you know, commercial in confidence negotiations and the like. But look, it was a very interesting um, uh, play. Uh, uh, there was a first round, then there was a second round. Uh, look, we are, we do live in very interesting times. Um, that, that's just the fact of it uh, when it comes to energy. Uh, and uh, there's been a lot of commentary around, uh, you know, AGL's choices here in terms of demerger and 
uh, and and whether they should or shouldn't accept any offers from from uh, from, from the market. But uh, look, we'll let businesses do what businesses do. Uh, they'll they'll reach their own conclusions, and certainly shareholders, you know, will, will express their own views either publicly or otherwise uh, in terms of uh, the Mike Cannon Brooks uh, move with Brookfield. Uh, but uh, you know, the point here is that there is a lot of uh, flux. Uh, there is a lot of uh, dynamic uh, change uh, likely or possible uh, in the whole of the energy market in terms of who owns, whether entities are, whether there's divestments or otherwise. Uh, all of that, Giles, simply confirms in my mind that got, we've got to be ready and we've got mm -hmm. to have a plan. We've got a plan uh, and we're getting on with delivering it. We've started that a number of years ago. We're ramping it up. Uh, when you have a look at the alternatives here in Victoria, they've got no plan. Uh, they, they came late to the party on uh, support for a net zero emissions target by 2050 and behind Scott Morrison. Scott Morrison was dragged to it and it's aspirational, I think. And we had a, a brief mention by uh, Matthew Guy, the opposition leader here, that, oh, yeah, he supports it. Well, really, is that a policy? No one can actually find a policy there. So, you know, people don't want that. Uh, people know that we've got to make the change and people know that they've got to have a government that... Uh, or want to be able to trust a government that's got a plan and knows how to get there uh, and and gives them the confidence that they don't have to worry about whether the lights are going to stay on, that they don't have to worry about their prices, that the price of their power going through the roof because you have, uh, you know, an unplanned um, uh, energy market where uh, players come and go uh, without much notice uh, and don't know whether you are you know, and enough supply coming in and yeah. being built. Uh, we can see that the transition has to be smooth and that's what we're actually yeah. going to be delivering, one that delivers real choices, you know, a clean power system, but also, of course, getting into the uh, hydrogen, lower power bills and creating those thousands of jobs, which are part of the new economy. Yeah. Just one final question then. You talked about the need for plan and what we've seen over the last few years is the state government's pretty much doing their own plans. I mean, there's been efforts to sort of bring, sort of change the market rules and sort of come up with a national plan. Hasn't been much response from the federal government. Uh, we've got an election due in May that's just a couple of months away. What would a change of government mean for Victoria's and, and, and the plans of other states? Would there be a chance to actually have a, like a unified national strategy, do you think, or will you still be going your own way? Look, I, I am very confident that with a change in government, one that I certainly hope will happen, I think there's a really good chance that it will happen this time, uh, it, it, will, it will provide a much uh, more confident environment for the states to be able to come together, whatever the political persuasion, because I think you'll find that the states are fairly much on a unity ticket about what needs to be done. I mean, we'll do things a little bit different to each other. Uh, Victoria, you know, is very much leading the way and others are, you know, choosing to... Um, take some of the lessons from, from us and, you know, move move to. That's good. Uh, but certainly, um, you know, having a change in government nationally, I am very confident will mean that, uh, you know, a, a lot of the, the, the nonsense uh, and the fear and hyperbole uh, and the scaremongering uh, will go by the wayside. Uh, we, we know we need to have good plans. The states have got their plans. Uh, we need a national plan. And I'm very confident that uh, those uh, in an integrated way will really deliver fantastic outcomes uh, for all Australians and Victorians no less. I mean, we've, we've got our uh, 
uh, plans. Uh, we'll continue with those, Giles. We're not going to take the foot off the accelerator, no matter who wins federally. Uh, our plans are our plans. They're not subject to X, Y or Z happening at a national level with a federal election. We'll continue with our plans, the level of ambition that we have. Uh, it's about that certainty, and that certainty is exactly what they're getting from us, and that won't be changing into the future. But it is always going to be better if you've got a, a federal government that is on the same page uh, because uh, it could simply mean that you can do things um, in a much easier way uh, with more support uh, and uh, and get uh, and get those outcomes happening for, for in terms of getting to where you need to go with the plans. Okay. Well, there's probably a lot we, more we could talk about too, um, uh, Mr. D'Ambrosio, but um, I think your time is out. So we do thank you very much for joining the Energy Insiders podcast this week and we look forward to hearing from you um, again sometime soon. Thanks very much, uh, Giles, and best wishes to you in New South Wales. Thank you very much. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet, so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant, generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole. Evergen software is powering the energy system of the future. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use, solid design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly cost and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals.